you've been thinking about renewing your vows with your spouse, this is a great time to do it. You say, well, there's going to be a lot of people. It's, not gonna, it's going to be personal. Just between you and your spouse. It's going to be personal. Make sure you sign up today if you want to do it. You have to sign up now. If you've never been get married and, and you want to get married, now you're going to have to have a marriage license or it's not going to be legal when you get through. And, um, and if you already married it's already legal we're just going to renew it in the eyes of God and our family we're going to have a wonderful time out at the barn so if you've been thinking about that sign up it's going to be great we're going to have a fun fun time and uh how many of y'all like to party we're going to party at the barn we're going to have a good time next Sunday and the weather is going to be beautiful right Jesus amen and uh man we need some cool weather it just don't feel like October I can't even get in the mood to think about going deer hunting as hot as it's been <laughs> Let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you as we study about covenant today, Father. We learn more about you. Give us fresh revelation knowledge of who you are and how you operate in our life. Father, I thank you today that this message would change lives, would change perspective, Father, and would give us a new revelation of who you are and what you want to do for us, Father, that we'll never think the same after today. In your name we pray. Amen. So open with me to Deuteronomy 29, 12 through 15 real quick. This is our key verse. We started with this last week. It says, you're standing here today to enter into the covenant of the Lord, your God. The Lord is making this covenant, including the curses. By entering into the covenant today, he will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God, just as he promised you and as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you're not the only ones with whom I am making this covenant, with his curses. I am making this covenant both with you who stand here today in the presence of our Lord, our God, and also with the future generations to come who are not standing here today. Say, they're talking about you. You can say that. They're talking about you. They're talking about you. Look to your neighbors. Say, they're talking about you. And so this covers future generations. God is a covenant-making God. You say, well, why did, why did God choose covenant? And I've been doing a lot of studying over the last couple of weeks. I've probably read six or seven books worth of information in the last two weeks alone on covenant. My brain is just covenantly tied and messed up right now. And so I've been reading all this information about covenant. You say, why would God use, why is God big on this, this covenant thing? Well, in, in the days of Abraham, covenant was a, was a big thing. They didn't make contracts back then. A contract, if you broke a contract in biblical days, you were going to die. Your life was over. It was a serious thing. Your word was held to be an oath that was good. You, you know how they used to say a man is only as good as his word? Well, that's true, and I, I was in construction business forever. I built tons and hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, thousands of swimming pools in my day, and we'd, we'd sign contracts, and, and, and the further we went to, to the time we live in today, the worse things got about people wanting to keep contracts because people's words aren't as good as what they used to be. They look for a reason to get out of the contract. They look for a reason to break the contract. They look for a reason not to give you your money. And I, I saw that more and more as we went through generation and generation. I did it for 20 plus years. And, 
And as, as we kept going, things got progressively worse with contracts. It's because contracts really are just a piece of paper these days. In fact, to be honest, when you went and signed and closed on your house or your lease on your apartment or you went to iTunes to buy a, si- a song, did you read the whole contract? Or do you just, zoom, zoom, you just scroll right through it and you sign right at the bottom or you say accept? I'm going to tell you, I don't read those iTunes things. They might say they get all three of my kids. I don't know. They, they start feeding them. They bring them back. I can tell you that much. I do know that. But, but nobody reads that stuff, and it doesn't mean anything. So, so we're talking about covenant because back in the days of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, your word meant something. When you made a covenant, it was, it was sealed with blood. And we're going to talk about the, the nine steps of covenant today. There's eight major steps, and then in the Hebrew covenant, there's a ninth step that I, I want to cover in a Hebrew covenant. Uh, covenant, and so if I get tongue-tied with covenant, and just just know, just forgive me ahead of time today. And so we're talking about covenant today, and we're going to continue talking about covenant over the next few weeks. Next week we're going to do the mass wedding. Our service will be a little shorter than normal, and we're all go out. And it's going to be a fun, fun Sunday. So make sure you're here. And if you're not getting renewing your vows. We're still going to have some praise and worship. We're still going to have fun. And then we're going to go have more fun at the bar. So come next Sunday. Don't say, well, I'm staying home. We're just having a mass wedding. Don't do that. Come be a part. Be a part of the family and the friends. And my goodness, there's cake. Who wants some of this cake? Mike was sold at Cane's. <laughs> I didn't have to say cake all the way. And, and so come get you some cake and have fun. Um, so covenants were as, co- as common as contracts back in, in the days of Abraham and stuff. And in fact, in, in the early 1930s in Syria, they, they found these tablets. In fact, they found 20,000 tablets, and they call them uh, the Mari tablets or, or the Mari tablets. And there was a king named Mari, and, and, and these tablets talk about, go into depth about covenants and, and about how the ways of life were back in the days of Abraham and in, in, in that genre. And so, and so we, we, we study those things and, and we look at them and we get a, a more in-depth view of what covenant looks like. And so today I want to give you eight steps of covenant making and, and how they were made and how they, they relate to the Bible and how they relate to you today. Because believe it or not, these things still relate to us today. And you ask a kid today or a teenager what a covenant is and I don't know, it's when you get married. But but really, marriage covenant isn't what it used to be in our society either. So they still have a misconstrued perception of what covenant is because they've looked at people's marriages and how many know that's not a real covenant because you can just throw that away at any time you want in today's society. And so we're going to get into an in-depth, in-depth look at what covenant actually is. Number one, they would have what they call the pre-ceremony action for the, the covenant. The two parties would come together and they would, they would discuss the terms of the covenant. What they wanted in the covenant and the other party would say what they wanted in the covenant. And they would talk back and forth and they would come to an agreement that both of them could live with. And then they would have to decide whether this covenant was beneficial in order for them to partake. 
Because in this day and age, back during Abraham and stuff, when, when you partook in a covenant, it meant you were going to get cut. There was going to be sacrifices. It, it was an in-depth thing. It wasn't just somebody sending you a piece of paper and you signing your name at the bottom of it. And so they got to make sure these, these terms and conditions are not just for a day. They're not just for a week. They're just not why a building project's going on. These terms and conditions are for life. And so they want to make sure the conditions are exactly what they want them to be. And you say, well, how's this apply to us in the Bible, Pastor? Well, we see pre-ceremony interactions between Abraham and God in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. It says, the Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Hey, everybody wants to be famous, don't they? I'll make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Quite the promise, isn't it? I don't know about you, but God tells me, I'm going to make you famous. All the families on earth are going to be blessed through you. I'm like, where do I sign? I don't need to read the rest. I'll scroll through and hit accept. Because <laughs> that's what we do today, isn't it? And, and but, but Abraham Abraham had to, had, to, had to say whether he, he wanted to do this or not. And he, he hasn't heard all the conditions yet. And, and so Abram, out of faith, departed as the Lord is instructed. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now listen, this, this doesn't just come with being famous and, and being popular. We read here that he's got to leave his family. He's got to leave his friends. He's got to leave Haran. He's got to live this, this place that he's been for years with, with his family and his dad. And he went there, and he's got brothers and sisters, and he's got roots. And I'm sure he has some kind of income and job related here. And all of a sudden, he's saying, God says, I want you to go. But this is what I'm going to do for you. So what does Abram do? Abram said, Abram's response in faith and obedience is, is he goes. And so, there has to be action when God, God gives us the plan and he tells us what it is. We have to have action. Like, he sent his son for us to die for us, but we have to receive him. He doesn't make us do these things. He didn't make Abraham do this. What most people don't know is Abraham's dad was told to go before him. Y'all realize that? Abraham's dad, Abram's dad was told to go before him. And if you look up the meaning of the town where they're at right here, Abram, Abraham never went. Abraham's dad, I mean, never went because that town, it, they stopped at where his brother died. And, and the place of, of the greatest grief in Abraham's daddy's life kept him from going where God had called him to go. You, you have pain in your life that keeps you from going where you need to go? Or do you... Are, are your children going to have to go where God's called you to go? And so God has this, this talk with Abraham, and he says, go. And Abraham says, I'm in, and I'm going. See, there's, there's an instant decision at some part of the covenant. You have to say, I'm going to go with God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. 
So the pre-ceremony actions were also a part of the new covenant which Jesus established. Jesus came to earth. He spent three years of his public ministry specifying terms and conditions and promises of the new covenant. Jesus often said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And we see that we see this in five or six places in the Bible. He said, you've heard that it's said, but I say to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the rules a little bit. There's going to be something that's a little bit different about, about this new covenant. And in the new covenant, we have to totally surrender our own lives to him. We have to totally give ourselves to him. Number two, the second part of uh, ancient covenant would have been the selection of the covenant representatives and the cutting of the covenant sacrifices. How many know that sacrifices aren't just neat and, and easy to do? Anybody in here ever cleaned an animal or a fish? It's messy. It's the part nobody likes. I love shooting deer, but then you got to clean the joker. And if you shot in the wrong place, heaven forbid, it's nasty and it's a mess. But this was part of their covenant. Sometimes we got to get messy to get involved in our covenant. Sometimes it's always not as clean cut as we think it is. And so they choose a representative on, there, there was groups. They, this, this tribe was going to go in covenant with this tribe. They, they'd each choose a rep, a representative to represent each side. And they would come together and, and they, would, they, would, they would sacrifice the animal and they would cut the covenant and and these these representatives were selected, and they would they'd cut the covenant together, and they 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 they'd cut it in a certain way, and they'd lay the two halves in the area where where the covenant was going to be made upright, and they they lay them there, and we'll see further what they would do with them here here in just a second, but they they lay them there, so there's dead animals involved in this covenant. I'm sure they made it pretty quick, or it'd be smelly, but. But they, they take these two animals, they cut them open, they lay them out, and they become the representative of the tribe. And every area of the covenant has to do, they're having to take on themselves for the whole group. And so they'd make a covenant mark, they do all kinds of other stuff, and, and these two guys are responsible for, for carrying the burden of all of this and representing the group. Now, if one tribe betrayed the other tribe, there would be death for the whole tribe, but this guy had to stand in and say, I'm your representative. I'm, I'm the one who's going who's gonna to stand here. I'm the one that's going to be cut. I'm the one that's going to intermingle blood. I'm the one who's going to represent you. You see where we're going here today? In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was not God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave his divine privileges. He took his humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus said, I'll be your representative. I'll be your rep. I'll be the guy who gets cut. I'll be the guy who sheds blood. I'll be that representative. I'll take that on. It's what Jesus did for us. You say, well, well what, what's the, the thing with covenant? The deal is God took something that was already established in the earth 
And he said, Abraham knows what covenant is. So I'm going to go to Abraham, and I'm going to establish something he's already none, known, and, but I'm going to take it to a different level. See, because there's way more blessings involved when I get involved than there are restrictions. There's way more blessings involved. He said, Abraham, I'm going to ask you to go, but I'm going to make the way. Abraham, I'm going to ask you to go fight some battles along the way, but I'm going to be there ahead of you. In fact, Abraham, I'm going to ask you to sacrifice and cut covenant with your own son and to sacrifice him. But he said, what you don't know is when you get on the mountain through faith and you do what I've asked you to do, I'm going to step in and I'm going to put a sacrifice there for you. And it's the same exact thing. God looked at Abraham saying, I'm willing to sacrifice my own son. I think there's a point where he says, you know, I know that I'm sending Jesus for this. And there's no way I can back out now because I got a mortal man standing on the earth willing to sacrifice his son for me. Why can't I? I'm going to sacrifice my son for all of them and pay the price. He says, Abraham, don't kill him. Don't kill him. There's a ram in the bush. I, I'm going I'm to give you the sacrifice to cut covenant with. Jesus is the new covenant sacrifice. He is the go-between re representing both God and man. Jesus did it all. Not only was he, he the representative that represented God, but he's the representative that represented us. He said, you know what? More than that, I'm not just going to be one representative. I'm going to be both of them is what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to represent the Father, and I'm going to represent you all at the same time. He said, the only person that's shedding blood here is me. Hebrews 2.17 says, therefore it is necessary for him to be made in every respect what? His brothers and his sisters. He had to be made just like you, your brother. You're his sister. He was made just like us so that he could be merciful and faithful and our high priest before God. Then he could offer the sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. So in other words, not only is Jesus God's representative, he's our representative. He does it all so that we don't even have to get dirty. We don't have to get messy with the cutting. We don't have to do none of that. He said, I'm going to make it easy for y'all. Number third thing they would do, the third thing they would do uh, in covenant is they would exchange robes or, or belts and weapons as a part of the sacrifice. And, and this symbolizes the putting on of each other and becoming one. They would say, I'm going to give you my robe, and you would give them their robe, and you would robe yourself in their robe, and, and immediately their authority became your authority, and, and their authority became yours, yours became theirs. And Jesus said, I'm going to take, I'm going to take your sinful nature, I'm going to take your bad ways, I'm going to take your robe that is worth nothing to me, and I'm going to clothe myself with some sacrifice. He said, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to put my robe upon you so that you have my righteousness, you have my strength, you have my manner, 
you have my ability. He said, this is what I want to do for you. He said, I'm going to take all your liabilities. And I have none. I have no disability. I can speak and it is what he says, I'm going to give you the same authority I got. I'm going to robe you, and I'm going to clothe you in it. That robe stood for a new position of character and authority. The belt was part of the man's armor. It signified his strength and, and his girth and what he could hold as far as weapons were concerned. How many know that God's belt and his robe is so much greater than ours? His weapons are so much more vast than we could ever dream it's like taking a knife to a gunfight. There's no comparison. He took off his robe and his mantle and everything he had, and he gave it all up for you. He took upon himself the likeness of the angels and came to this earth. Changing robes said, everything I have is yours. That's what it signified. And everything you have is, is mine. He took all of our sin. He took all of, our, all of our, our lacks and our shortcomings and our downfalls. And he took them all upon himself. What does it say when we won't give up our sin? Jesus took it. What does it say when we won't accept his grace? We just want to hang out in our old raggedy robe with our sin and, and our old nature and our, our old ways. What does that say to him when we, we dwell in the past and we dwell on the things that have hurt us and we, we dwell on the things that are holding us back? What does that say when he says, I give you all strength and all power and all authority and I give you every tool that I possess? And you say, it's okay, God, I'm just going to well in the past i'm just going to mourn on what's happened i'm just going to i'm just going to live on this incident that happened and jesus said i i have so much more for you than that the fourth thing they would do is they'd have what they called the walk unto death is a ritual where the sacrifice had been made and the the two halves of the animal like i said were were laying out there and and they would walk between the two halves of the carcasses of the animal that they had sacrificed, and they'd walk there together, and, and they'd look at each other, and they would make these statements. If I break this covenant, let it be done unto me what was done to these animals. Let it be done unto me what was done to this sacrifice. Let it be done unto me. Let me die like they did. If, if I break covenant. See, covenant was a serious thing. It, it held weight. It wasn't something that you, you made a pact and all of a sudden you just got to say, you know what, I don't want to be in covenant with you no more. It didn't happen like that. It was serious. And, and so they, they make this pact, let it be done to me what's happening. You know what? That's what, that's what our future was. It, it was death. It was hell. It was the grave. And Jesus walked up and said, no, don't let it be done to you. Let it be done to me for you so that I can take you somewhere better, so that I can take you to a better place in your life. He said, the kind of covenant I'm about to, I'm about to do with you is going to take you new places you've never been before. He 
said, I'm about to take all that crud. He said, I'm going to take it away. He said, you don't have to experience death. You'll never experience death. No matter how many times you turn away from me, no matter how many times you, 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 you look away from my life, no matter how many times you say, well, you know, I, I just want to do it my way, God. He said, I'm still going to forgive you. I'm still going to love you. And I'm still there for you. Let it be done to you, not to me. That's what Jesus said. That's how it's different with the covenant. In, in Abraham's day, in Genesis 15, 7, they said, After the sun went down, the darkness fell. Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. And God was saying to Abraham, Let what has been done to this animal be done to me if I do not feel your, fulfill the promise I've made to you. God's saying, Abraham... Let me die if I don't fulfill what I've promised. Pretty serious, isn't it? He said, Abraham, my words, I cannot lie. My promises, my promises are never void. My promises are never null in your life. My promises are here for you. Walk in them. Same thing Jesus has done. He said, let it be done to me. Matthew 26, 39, praying, Jesus said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. He's saying, God, you know, I know what I'm fixing to go through. If it's at all possible, take it away from me. But you know what? If it's not, it's okay. I'm going to still do it. I'm going to do it for them. He wants to go. He, he went there. He went there for you. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'll cut covenant. I'll take the walk unto death. I'll be the covenant sacrifice. And I'll be the mediator of the new covenant. I know what it entails. I can see the future. I know what this looks like. I know how this is about to feel. But I'm going to do it because I love you. And because I want to. The new covenant living involves much more than just believing Jesus is God and that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead on the third day. There's so much more to it than just saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life. We, we think we, we, we wonder why things aren't happening in our life and we, we wonder why we, we don't have the grace that we, we feel like we can move on with the day, but we, we think we're in covenant with God and we, we think we've, We've actually said, Jesus, save me, but we've truly, really never meant it or knew the gravitas of what it meant. And we truly don't walk in covenant the way that we, we think we're walking in covenant. I want you to listen close because, because everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there, there's something about walking in covenant with God. There's something about... About, there's something deeper than just saying a prayer. See, new covenant living is trusting in Jesus' walk in the death for us and taking our own walk in the death. There, there's more to it than just saying words. There's a walk that we take unto death ourselves. It's different than what, 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 what was in the old covenant. It, it's, a, it's a new covenant. It's a, it involves a total surrendering of our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
See, the deal is sometimes we, we say we're going to give you our hearts, but we don't actually give him our hearts. And, and there's a difference. There, there's something about giving him our, giving our total hearts to him and, and dying to ourselves daily and vowing to live every day for him. I wake up first thing in the morning, Jesus, be the Lord of my life today. First thing I say when I get up in the morning, I, sometimes I jump in the shower and the water hits me and I actually wake up and then I say, Jesus, make me Lord of my life today. But every day I make a covenant that he's my Lord and he, he's my Savior and he's who I live and I breathe for because I want everything that this covenant promises. I want all of the blessings. I don't actually have to kill something. I just have to die to myself. We have to die to ourselves. It involves so much more. Uh, number five, it, in, 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 in ancient covenant, they would, they would have the pronouncements of, of blessing and curses. Each party would pronounce aloud the terms of the covenant. Well, how does this apply biblically, Pastor? Well, Deuteronomy 27 through 32 has a present clear Old, Tam- Old Testament example of this. And... Uh, once in the land, the children of Israel, six tribes went up on one mountain. Six tribes would go up on another mountain. And these six tribes would proclaim the blessings of God over their land and over the mountain. And then these six tribes would go and take the journey up this mountain. And they would stand up on this mountain and they'd profess and they pronounce the curses that would be on them if they didn't have covenant with God pretty drastic in it this this group these six half half the tribes of israel climb one mountain half the tribes of israel climb another mountain and they pronounce the the blessings and, and the curses of the covenant just so they they would remember to honor god because they hadn't always done that and so sometimes we need to make a trip up the mountain And we need to remember where God has brought us to and where he wants to take us. Sometimes we need to remember all the blessings that he's given us in life. And we need to realize that he has nothing but good stuff in store for us. You know, there's there's no better view of where you're at in life than, than from a mountaintop. You can see so much further up on a mountain than you can just standing down in the valley. But sometimes we, we wall around in our own self-pity and we wonder what's going wrong and we don't, we don't get a true perspective. And sometimes we just need to stop and say, you know, things are going wrong, but is, is God still on his throne? Do, do I still have a covenant with God? Did, did he make me promises? Would he not keep them? He does. I was, I was doing all this study this week and I was, I was in my office and I was praying and and it was, it was right early in the week, and I'm sitting there, and I'm praying, and I'm reading over all this information, and my brain's half-fried, and I just begin to stop, and I begin to pray, and I just begin to ask the Lord for revelation. I, I begin to think about things He's done for me in the past and where, where He's bringing us as a church, and I've got my eyes closed. I'm just kind of rocking back and forth in my chair, and I, I'm, just, I'm just continuing to praise Him for what He's done and, and tell Him how much I love Him. And I said, you know, God, things... There's a couple things I've asked you for that haven't happened yet. And 
I really need these things to happen in my life. I need, I need some breakthrough in this stuff. And I said, you know, I'm studying about covenant, God. I know your blessings are good. I know your, your promises in my life are good. I said, but the last couple months has just been a little hard. And, and there's a couple things I've been asking for for a couple years now. And I just, I know your timing is perfect and your ways are perfect. But, but I'm asking, Father, that it happens this week, not next week. And I just begin to meditate and to pray on it. And you know what? By the end of the week, I had three major things I've been praying for has happened. This week. Because sometimes you just got to climb up to the mountain and remember that you are blessed. And sometimes you need to say, Father, I- I'm here. We're, we're still in covenant. I love you with all of my heart. You're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're forever my friend. But I need some answers today. I, need, I have some things that are pressing in my life that I want to happen. And he's always faithful. While on the cross, Jesus spoke seven things. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This represented the forgiveness of sins. He was speaking blessings, and he was speaking, speaking things of the new covenant. While he's hanging on the cross, you're still in his mind and on his mind. And he's saying, I believe that Jesus is so, so prophetic that he not only was he speaking to some guards down there uh, on the bottom, but he's speaking to all the generations to come because he's a generational God, and he thinks about stuff before we can think about it. He knows stuff that's going to happen in the future. And he's saying, Father, for all mankind, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. But I'm paying the price right here. In fact, the ninth, the ninth thing in Hebrew covenant was that after the covenant was done, they would plant a tree. And they'd take the blood from the sacrifice and they would, they would sprinkle it. They'd sprinkle it on the tree that they planted to signify that it had been done. And they'd sprinkle the blood on this tree. How, how relative is it today that we're talking about covenant? And Jesus ended with the famous Hebraic covenant and said, On this tree I spread my blood. And I pay the price for each and every one of you. He said, I'm going to seal this thing right here. I'm planting this tree right here, and I'm sprinkling it with my own blood. Number two, he said, today you shall be with me in paradise. There's once again from the first covenant with Adam, oh, there was always the promise of paradise. Think about it. What was in the garden? What was the tree they could eat from? The tree of life. They were able to eat from the tree of life, the, the fountain of youth right there in the middle of the garden, eat from it any time they want. God just said, don't touch the tree of knowledge and good and evil. It's set apart. It's my tithe. It, it's your offering. It, it's right here in the middle of the garden. Don't touch that. All the other stuff in the room, all the other stuff in the garden, it's yours. Don't touch this one thing. Tree of life, it's yours. Eternity has always been promised. It's always been there. It's always been part of the covenant. Today you shall be with me in paradise. He's talking to you. One day you will be with him in paradise. Then he says, woman, behold your son. He's talking to all mankind. Here's your new family in the body of Christ. Then he makes this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Redemption from the curse of sin, sickness, and death is established at that moment. 
He was forsaken and wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. He took the price of everything that we had done. And he said, let it be done to me. Is what he said. Number five, he says, I thirst. And he established him in the kingdom of God. why he did the whole thing that's what everything was about was his thirst for the father and for him to have a personal relationship with him he said no man goes to the father except for through me thirst then number six he said it is finished and grace abounds the grace for all mankind to have salvation was done at that time. And then he said, Father, I commit my spirit. The blessing is secure for all mankind. Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse. Galatians 3.13 puts it like this. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoings. For it's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. God's word cannot lie. He was cursed for us. He took the curse of our life upon himself so that we could be free. He took all the curses. We read about the curses of covenant. But the new covenant, he takes the curse from you and just gives you life. For it is written in the scriptures, Everyone who's hung on a tree. Though Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promise with Holy Spirit through faith. Number six, they, they, they would seal the covenant with a mark. Two parties would seal the agreement with a special sign or token. Most of the time it was, it was done by cutting. They, w- they would cut themselves and they would intermingle the blood and then they, they would take some kind of dark substance or gunpowder and they would, they, they would rub it into the, into the wound. Now, they didn't have gunpowder back in Abraham's days, but they take a dark substance, dirt, they take something and rub it into the wound so that it would make a permanent scar that everyone could see forevermore to represent what they had done. Jesus' scars represent what he's done. In Genesis, we read about Abraham in 17.10. It says, this is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. They had to be circumcised. That was Abraham's covenant with God. That, hey, to know This is the sign that everybody knows you're in covenant with God. You're circumcised. Jesus don't ask us to be circumcised anymore. And most American males are. But he doesn't ask that of us now. He asks us to do something else. He asks us to circumcise our hearts. He asks us to die to ourselves 
and, and to receive a new heart and to receive him into our hearts. That's, that's the sign he's asking for from us now. And now Hebrews 9, 11 through 15 says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He's entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. In fact, Jesus says, in the word it says, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cows could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness of sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is one who meditates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can reserve, can, can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Jesus' blood became the sign of the new covenant for each and every one of us. And all we have to do is circumcise our hearts and ask him to come in. All we have to do. John 6, 53 says, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. In fact, Luke 22, 20 says, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus is saying, I want to go to this kind of a relationship with you. He didn't pay the price. He didn't pay the price for nothing. He paid it for you. And he's just waiting for us to take that step. Like Abraham went, he's just waiting for us to say yes. He's waiting for us to, to circumcise our hearts and to do away with our old man. Just like baptism, we go into the watery grave and we come up new. It, it's not that the water... Uh, there might be something in the water, like Carrie Underwood said, but it's not that, that, it's not that there's even something special about the, wood. It, the water. It signifies that we're dying to ourselves and we're coming up a new man. We have to die to ourselves. This is what Jesus is saying. The seventh thing they would do is they would exchange names in an ancient covenant. It would imply the exchange of personality, character, reputation, essence, and authority. It symbolizes two becoming one. That's why you see in the marriage ceremony, the, the woman always takes the man's last name because it signifies I'm taking on his personality. I'm taking on his character. I'm taking on his reputation. I'm taking on his essence. I'm taking on his authority in my life. That's what it would represent when the name changed. I don't know about you, but... I don't want to operate under Ryan Olivier's name. Be honest. You know, they call Kobe out of the stands. Kobe Oliver, they say it wrong. I just want to murder that guy. Lord, forgive me. I need to go talk to the booth when he's playing football. It's Kobe Olivier. 
And I want everybody to know his name because it's important to him. But more than being called Ryan Olivier, I want to be known as a, a follower of Jesus. I, I want to carry his name, and I want to do it with integrity, and I, I want to do it in, in, in the right way. Because his name has authority that I don't have. His name has power that I don't have. His name has things that I will never possess, only but through his grace and his goodness and his love. But he gave me his robe. He gave me his name. He gave me everything. And what do I have to do? I just have to die to myself and say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I live for you every single day. And I inherit all the authority, all his personality, all his character, all of his reputation, all of his essence of the sweet Holy Spirit. We see in Abram's day, he, he's known as Abram. And God says, no more are you known as Abram. He said, but you will be known as Abraham. And there's something about that. Because when you look to the original translation of, of the Greek and the Hebrew, and you go into the Hebrew, that means God. It means his presence. He said, Abraham, you're not going to be known as Abraham no more. He said, I'm about to give you all access to my authority, all access to my to my." My personality, all access to, to everything that is of me because of, of what I'm about to do. And he said, you're no longer going to be known as Abraham. I mean, Abram, you're going to be known as Abraham because God is with you. I don't know about you, but I want God with me. I want a name to me. The word Christian means more than just, just a phrase to me. It means what he's done for me through his covenant. It means where he wants to take me. It means the authority he has given me. In fact, he changed Sarah and it says Sarai. It's known as Sarah. And then and then his name's Jacob. And then Jacob comes along and God says, you know what, Jacob? Your name means trickster. We all know the story. Well, some of us might not. Jacob steals his brother's inheritance from him. Well, his name meant trickster. And after this is all done, God comes to Jacob. God, God's into changing names, people. He's into changing names. He wants to change your, your destination along with your name. He said, Jacob, you're no longer a trickster, but I'm going to call you Israel. It means the prince of God. You are princes and princesses of God. He has changed your name when you, I know I can't talk today. <laughs> He's changed your name. He's changed your name, but you have to realize that your name is Jesus. I'm sure not instantly Abraham walked out and said, I'm no longer Abram. I'm still something different. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't happen overnight. It's something that through circumcising our heart and dying to ourselves and and, and becoming with him, we realize the, the magnitude and the authority and the gravitas that, that comes with all of this stuff. And, and we, realize, we realize the authority that he's given us. 
I can tell my son he can have an ice cream cone. And he can go to the freezer and he can get one and he can eat one. But unless he goes and grabs one, he doesn't actually have it. He doesn't actually have it. God said, I've done all this for you. I've given all this to you. But you have to take it. You have to want it. You have to possess it. How many times do we cripple ourselves not operating in the power of God? We, we, go, we go operate in, in, in our own name. We go operate in our own authority. When we can operate in the authority and the power of God, there's something different that we should be doing. We don't act, when we take that name Christian and we put a robe upon it and we, we circumcise our hearts, something should change. The last thing they would do is they would, they would have a covenant meal together. It would be the final step in the ancient, ancient covenant making. They would include bread and they would include wine and a lot of times they would drip their blood into the wine and intermingle it and drink it, signifying their covenant. Now I know that sounds gross. But if you think about what the ancient covenant makers would do, what God did, he said, in my blood, I make this new covenant. John Osteen, in his book about covenant, tells a story about David Livingstone and Sir Henry Stanley. Livingstone was the first great missionary to go into Africa. And um, he'd been missing for a while, so he sends Stanley Henry Stanley to go find David Livingstone. And David Stanley goes to Africa looking for him. And they were plagued by disease, starvation, even threatened by cannibals while they were over there. And this strong African tribe leader would not let them pass by. And the interpreter goes to this, goes, goes to Stanley and he says, look, they want you to cut covenant with them. And he said, what's this mean? He said, just, just, just do it. Just cut covenant with them. And he, said, he said, it's a process you're going to go through, and you're going to make a covenant with this tribe. And the deal is you, you have authority of the tribe. You have the power of the tribe over your life. And so negotiations were made. Representatives were chosen. And they went through the entire ceremony, similar to what a Hebrew ceremony would have been. And they exchanged prized possessions, and the chief won Stanley's prized goat. And he gave Stanley an old spear for the prize goat. He said, well, that's an odd gift, a spear. But this spear had an insignia of the chief on it. And as they traveled to go look for David Livingstone across the country, they encountered other tribes with evil intent that, was, that were going to kill them. But the minute the other tribes would see the insignia that was on this spear, they say, go ahead, pass through not going to mess with you. Give them food. They give them provision. Not because of who they were, but because of what that spear and that insignia meant. It was a covenant. Stanley and his group and the chief and the entire tribe would come to their aid over 50 times while Stanley traveled through Africa looking for David Livingstone. He didn't have to battle. He didn't even have to fight. 
And half the time, he didn't even have to look for provision because of a covenant that he made. I want to ask you today, how many battles have you fought alone? How many battles in your life with the way you think and the way you go through life, and I'm not, condone, I'm not condemning you, and I, I'm not condoning what I've done in the past, but I, I can tell you in my past, I got some battles that I fought, and I fought hard. I didn't even have to fight them. See, because I had a covenant. I had a, a mark on my life. So you may not can see it over your own life, but when you accept, accept the sacrifice of God's only son, there's a blood mark that is upon you. And the enemy can see it. And the enemy knows the authority that operates in your life, even if you don't realize it. Even if you don't get the, the concept of it. The problem is, we don't know who we are. We don't know what that spear means. We don't know what the, the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us actually does and we walk around as Christians with a name that we don't even realize the power that is in the name it's the name above all names I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me but we read it as mere mortal words and, and don't, don't realize the weight that his name carries. We don't realize the weight the sacrifice actually has on our life because we don't think about covenant. We don't think about it from the terms of what, what covenant really means. We think of it as a contract. We talked about Mephibosheth last week, how David and Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was scared to go to the king's table to eat. Because he thought David and Jonathan had a contract. But David and Jonathan had more than a contract. They had a covenant. And he said, every piece of property your daddy owned, I know I'm the new king. I know I could take it. But it's yours. Just you and your, you and your dad and I. Your dad and I had a covenant. But just like that, we have a covenant with a king. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we have so much more that we can walk in and that we could do if we just realize who He is. It's a covenant relationship, it's not contractual, it's not something we can just tear up. It's something He said, I went there for you. That's what He did.